One of our, um, one of our country's like, most sacred ideas is the understanding of our freedom. It's the understanding of our freedom. We are free people. We are free people, right? One of our country's most sacred is the freedom. It is our highest good. See, we're all deeply familiar with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? In the pursuit of happiness. I mean, our culture runs on the freedom and on the free decisions that we make every single day. Like, you want to move to Iceland? Okay. You want to have 10 kids? Okay. You want to quit your job? You have the freedom. Okay. Do you want to dress like a Power Ranger? Okay. Do you want to eat veal? Okay. Do you want to be a vegan? Fine. You're free to do that. Our society and culture runs off of that. Think about this. For those of you who were here last week, we talked about an immense issue. We talked about the abortion issue. And I said that that entire topic is boiled down to the idea and the understanding of life versus liberty. It's about life versus liberty. Or even think about this. Or, uh, people's hurt or excitement over our recent election and inauguration, right? Because here's the truth. As mad as you may be or as stoked as you may be about our recent election, you can't deny our country's freedom that we can pick and choose our president. That is remarkable. The inauguration and the entire thing is just a remarkable concept. It's mind-blowing. Again, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so two weeks ago, when we started Acts chapter 15, we witnessed just that. We witnessed freedom. We witness freedom. There will be no constraints, if you guys remember, there, will be, there is to be no constraints upon Gentiles. Gentiles meaning those who are un-Jewish. But those who were Jewish in the early chapter of Acts chapter 15 wanted them to be circumcised. And we talked about circumcision, and you can go listen to the podcast, but we're not going to get into it here. And the disciples and the apostles, as they're hearing all these Jewish people saying, Gentiles have to be circumcised, the disciples and the apostles were like, nah. No, they don't. They are free as they are to follow Christ, to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to do whatever. It was this beautiful, beautiful, brave heart moment. Like everybody's free, yes, and everybody's super excited. But right in the middle of the chapter, something happens. Something happens. And here I'll read it to you. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 15. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Yes, boom, shakalaka, freedom. We're stoked, yes, right? In verse 20, but, wait, 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 but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Wait, <laughs> what is this garbage? What is going on? What is this shackled freedom? What are these chains? Is this fake? See, what I believe is so easily forgotten is that the truest and greatest of all freedoms comes with borders. Comes with borders. See, it's been said that liberty is found within limitations. And this is true of everything from art to relationships. If you ask musicians, they are completely bound and chained to sharps and majors and minors. If you ask artists, they are completely bound to canvas. Some of the healthiest relationships or marriages 
have parameters and borders and understanding and expectations of them. Collective church boundaries cannot be divorced. They cannot be divorced from life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what we need to discover tonight is the purpose of those borders. And what are correct limitations? What are good limitations? And to find that answer, we don't look inside of ourselves. We must put subjective strongholds aside and seek to understand what the Bible, God's word, would say regarding our liberties and our limitations. Okay? Just as God did with the Gentiles here in Acts chapter 15. So here's the scoop. Very, very briefly, if you're familiar with these verses or this is your first time ever reading Acts chapter 15, let me just explain that people of all kinds are now starting to follow Jesus. That's what's happening. People of all kinds, not just Jewish men and women. And understandably so, the Jewish people were extremely confused, baffled, and taken back as they see all this going on around them by the fact that their heritage, their rich, beautiful heritage, belief, and tradition is now changing. Things are changing. So the church leaders who, if you're here and you're Christian or not, you've probably heard these names, Peter, Paul, and James, they get together for this conference. They have a conference to talk about circumcision, riveting stuff. So they're talking about circumcision and all that. And they decide, like I said, that nobody needs to become culturally Jewish to become a Christian. Nobody. That would be like saying you need to be a Bruin before you are a Westsider. <laughs> right? Maybe people here from UCLA would disagree, but that's the sort of like atrocity of thought that you would need to first be a Bruin, then you're a Westsider. That does not make any sense. See, what they're saying is no longer, no longer the Levitical Old Testament laws be required for those who believe because God's people are no longer purely Jewish. See, back then, the Levitical Code was a mandatory way of relating to God. And after Jesus, all of that changed. All of it. It's now a code that is purely cultural. It's purely cultural for the Hebrews. So if anybody here, if anybody, Jewish, wants to keep it, awesome. Cool, go for it. But that cultural freedom does not have more power than the spiritual freedom found in Christ. So the church is made up of people wherever they are. So I want us to get this before we move on and get into the more thick, you know, tacky stuff. I want us to get this, that you do not have to become better or, or, or smarter or holier or cuter or wiser or Jewish to be a Christian. But even though you don't have to become Jewish, they do write them a letter asking for four reservations. No, 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 you don't have to be Jewish. But we're going to ask for four very confusing, oddball, weird laundry, laundry list of, of, of requests. And so I want to read this letter. I want to read what they told the Gentiles. And for what it's worth, this letter to the Gentiles has been titled by so many historians and scholars, get this, as a masterpiece of tact and delicacy. So this letter that I'm going I'm to read to you guys, starting in verse 22, if you'd like to follow along. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. 
They sent Judas called Barsabbas, because who would want to be named Judas there anymore, right? So they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men, leading men among the brothers. So they sent people with the letters from city to city and from church to church. Basically, wherever there was racial controversy between the Jewish people and the Gentiles, this letter, like this, in a room just like this, was to be read and explained. Now, why did he send people? Because we get it. Much is lost in translation, right? This is why somebody had the idea that we should invent smiley faces with our text. Like, this is why. Emojis, we have to explain it. There can be so much loss in understanding. And they're even smart because they send two people who are ministers to the Gentiles, and they sent two more people who have great clout with those who are Jewish. So they're very, very smart in what they're trying to do, and they're trying to send people to protect the disposition and heart of the intent of this letter. So let's read it, verse 23. Here it is. So with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers which is beautiful, to the brothers who are of Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, uh, 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 did I say Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 26. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves, who will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, than these. Okay, verse 29. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, uh, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> Later. <laughs> so for us to understand what we just read, for us to imply any of this to our lives, we must have a foundation and frame of biblical Christian liberty. Biblical Christian liberty, or, or it's been called in other times disputable matters, or it's been called indifferent things. Christian liberty or indifferent things is essentially this. Please pay close, close attention. Christians are free to partake or not of activities that are not, that are not expressly forbidden in the Bible. One more time. Christians are free to partake or not of activities that are not expressly forbidden in the Bible. So what might some of these indifferent things be? What might some of them be? And I got to be honest, as I thought through many of them, just to be honest, LA doesn't really struggle with these. This giant list uh, is not something that LA might, you know, you guys, we might even laugh at them. But this is very, very, these are very, very disputable things with Christianity, especially in the South or the Midwest. These are very, very serious things to people. Um, so I'm just going to name a few indifferent things, okay? You guys ready for this? Alcohol, smoking, length, length of skirts, <laughs> tattoos, piercings, dancing, R-rated movies, having a TV, watching a TV, thinking about TV, rock and roll, the Beatles, drums in the church, 
And to be honest, Josue was playing drums earlier and the cross that was on the wall did fall. <laughs> so I'm changing my opinion about drums in the church. So, yeah. Playing poker. And to, just so you know, half, and 75% of this list I got from Lorenzo. So thank you, Lorenzo. I got this list from Lorenzo who can rattle this stuff off the top of his head. Sin, sin, sin. So. <laughs> sports, especially contact sports. Christmas trees, Halloween, Halloween movies, Halloween candy. All Halloween is satanic, okay? Incense, yoga, video games, and many, 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 many more. <laughs> I don't, maybe some of you have experienced this in a church or religious setting before. Um, my wife and I came from a church environment where tattoos had to be hidden all the time. If you showed up with a five o'clock shadow, you were just like, oh, you're the devil. Like, what are you doing? Shave. They literally one time handed me a dry razor because I had a five o'clock shadow and I had to go shave it. And I came out bloody and they're like, that's better. Like that's... <laughs> So um, I, I put a couple things down remembering. My wife and I, even though at that time we were engaged, could not hold hands. Uh, the senior pastor would send people on staff on covert, like, mission impossible trips to buy him Bud Light because he himself could not buy it to be seen. So, I mean, I get what he's trying to do there. I would just be embarrassed to buy Bud Light, but that's his thing. <laughs> And me and my friends, I'll never forget, were severely, severely blistered for going and seeing a scary movie one time um, at a theater. So uh, that's here, and, and in all honesty, that sort of legalism, oppression under man's law can be very, very, very dangerous. So we need a healthy understanding of liberty with limitations. So for those here who follow Jesus or who trust the Bible, what God has commanded, we must insist to be done and do ourselves. I think everybody's good with that. What God has forbidden, we must insist not to be done and not do. But what God has neither commanded nor forbidden, we are free to do or not do. That is indifferent, and those are indifferent things. Martin Luther, um, old school theologian from 15th, 16th century wrote this little booklet called The Freedom of the Christian Man. And in his quote, I think we'll start to understand Acts 15 and the requests of the Jewish leaders. Uh, Martin Luther says this, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Now, because this issue is highly debated and a point of contention for so many, maybe even here tonight, I can't, as much as I wish I could, cover everything. So I hope that's cool, because it has to be. But so before we get too far down the path, before we get too far into it, we do have to, in my opinion, air out these verses. We have to air them out and figure out what in the world's going on. How in the world could they request this? And I mean, it seemed like grace, 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 and then a bunch of weird restrictions. We really have to understand because at first glance, I was thinking, I mean, if you really think about it, it's so weird. Dear, you know, Gentile pagans, I mean, brothers, please, you know, cook your meat well done and don't have sex. Love church people. Like that's what it's very, very odd. It's very odd. 
It's a weird mixture, I was thinking, of moral and ceremonial matters. So is this letter, think about this, is this letter really even applying that eating certain meats is on the same level of, you know, sexual purity? Is he elevating eating meats on the same level of sexual purity? And why only sex before marriage? Is that really the issue? Why not? Don't kill anybody. Dear Gentile brothers, don't rob banks. Like, why only sex before marriage as far as a moral understanding? But that's not what it says. It doesn't say don't kill people. It doesn't say rob banks. It says idolatry and anything to do with it. That's what that word polluted means. Any air or essence of idolatry, banish it. Blood and strangulation. It's talking about food. It's talking about strangled meat. Just means All that means is animals that were killed without having the blood drained. Don't eat them. And um, immorality, especially sexual immorality. Well, the only way we're going to know where they're um, going with this is to know where the Gentiles came from. So very quickly, um, I want us to understand that where they came from is something that's immensely pagan, immoral, idolatry, uh, you know, worship. It's idol worship. This letter is a prohibition with involvement from pagan activities and feasts. That's what they're telling them. See, at these temples where the Gentiles were rampant, and there were many, many temples for every different type of God, and there was meat there everywhere, you know, unstrangled and blood-filled meat everywhere. And to be honest, back then, only the rich could buy meat. But there's this meat everywhere. And then often, just to kind of just go out and say it, there's temple prostitutes in these, in these temples, and they were just these mass orgies. And all of this was done in the name of worship. All of this was done in the name of worship. So especially the prohibition that we will see, that we will see later, that if you want to buy meat that was offered to idols, cool, that's fine, whatever. They're like, fine, whatever. But what that shows us is that this is less about the eating of the meat. This is way far less about the eating of the meat, and it's more about the engagement of idol worship and, and, and pagan activities. Make sense? Hopefully you're tracking with me. What was happening, what they're talking about, is worship at these temples, Worship um, with these pagan, horrible feasts, these horrible things that they're doing, sexually immoral. It was very, very far-reaching and very, very disturbing to the Jewish men and women who would see this and watch. And it's here, because of the transformation of the Jewish culture and faith, that the leaders ask the Gentiles, the leaders ask the Gentiles to be mindful and refrain. What's happening is be mindful. What you guys have come, came from Think about the Jewish brothers and sisters. Be mindful and refrain. Just as the Jewish people are in the change, uh, you know, are changing for you, we ask that you too change for them. I love the clarity in how Pastor John Stott pens it. He goes, the abstinence here must be understood not as an essential Christian duty, but as a concession to the consciousness of others, i.e., and the Jewish converts who still regarded such food as, un, uh, as unlawful and abominable in the sight of God. Now, what merit, uh, this, and I thought this was a good question to think about. I mean, what merit do they have to ask this? This is a huge request, huge request. Stop doing these things. The sex before marriage, we get it, we get it. The other stuff, stop having certain meat. This is a huge request. So I want us to see where they get this merit or where they get this authority to be able to do so. And it's this very, very small verse in verse 28 of Acts chapter 15. I don't want you guys to miss it because this is crucial. 
So crucial for tonight. Look at verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Friends, this is so crucial when discussing indifferent things. So crucial. Because what seems to come into play with every debate within the gray, and this is a very gray topic, what seems to come into play with every debate is the biblical authority over the persons who was taking the liberty. Let me flesh that out. Maybe you've heard these accusations before, or maybe you believe them for yourself, that every Christian or that some Christians or that Christians don't follow everything in the Bible. That they don't follow everything. That Christians hunt and peck and pick and choose what to believe. Maybe you've been called that. Oh, you believe this in the New Testament, but you don't believe this in the Old. Well, friends, sadly, for the most part, yeah, that does seem really true. A lot of believers do that. But, 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 friends, here's the truth about biblical Christianity. Here's the absolute truth. We, Christians, are under the authority of Scripture through and through. Christians, we are not allowed in any form to pick or choose what we want to apply and what we want to deny. We accept everything, even the Old Testament. We accept everything, everything, every command, and every law are right and good, every single one. And if we continue to follow that stony path that I just set us on, where do we go? Well, headdressings, tattoos, wear this, don't touch this, shave your beard, don't shave your beard, cut your hair, don't cut your hair, what? Shellfish, all this sort of stuff. And even after that little rambling list I just gave, let me say this again, every command and every law in the Bible that you are holding is good and it is right. Every single one. If I've confused you, good. Because maybe you're thinking, what's going on? What say you, Casey? Here's, let me explain. Here's what I'm getting at. Scripture is our full authority in everything. In everything. If you or me begin to butcher the slab that is the Bible, and we remove this or we gut this, then Scripture is no longer the authority. You are, or I am. And that is, a, that is a very, 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 very dangerous place to be. Oh, I hate Leviticus 18. I like the stuff about God being loving. Give me more of that. It's not allowed. See, if the authoritative... Now, here's where I'm getting to the point. See, if the authoritative word of God then, the Bible tells you cultural mandates have been lifted, then, and only then, does everything change. So in regards to this, we're not picking and choosing in different matters from Old Testament to New. We're actually living under the Scripture, or under the authority of Scripture, and what's been affirmed and established throughout the whole of the Bible, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It seems good and to, you know, it seems good and to, uh, to, to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, I would love to know how someone is supposed to hear what the Spirit wants or what the Spirit doesn't want, right? Wouldn't that be super radical? Just to, oh yeah, it seems good to us, go. See, when you are making a life, you know, major life decision, and I know, you know, we are all making those every Tuesday and every Friday, this is what we do. 
we're making a major life decision or we're trying to discern God's will or you know, what God wants or if we're trying to see if we can practice this liberty or not, do we just sit there and press our ear to heaven? I'm just gonna put my ear in the Bible. <laughs> is that what we do? No. Friends, this is huge. Christians, listen ever so closely. Listen ever so closely. This is so huge. How did those in Acts 15 discern that it was good to them in the spirit? And the spirit being, you know, the power and presence of God and the Holy Spirit. How do they discern that? You ready for this? Here it is. I'm about to blow your minds. They, with one another, open the Bible. That's it. They, with one another, open the Bible. Now, this is huge. If we, if I, if you ever, ever say that this is what God wants, and it contradicts scripture. That is not what God wants. God wants us to have sex before marriage. No, Jesus doesn't want me a part of a church. Or I can cheat on my taxes. Friends, that is subjective, unbiblical, isolated, ideological sin. That is what that is. This is why we push so heavily for discipleship groups in our church for you to be one anothering under the covering of Scripture. See, if you're not in one and you're a part of this church, what church you go, oh, I'm going to collect their church, and you're not in a discipleship group, I will ask you right now to reconsider that. Please reconsider that decision and commit to discipling and being discipled within this local body because here's why. We need you and you need us. We need you and you need us. If James the Just... Paul, the immense man that Paul was, if Peter, all these incredible biblical giants needed one another, friends, so do we. Absolutely, so do we. As well, so that you can have the type of assurance that the apostles did as you go about your daily lives and trying to follow Jesus. They were had such assurance. We need one another. We need one another. We need wisdom. We need discernment. We need discipleship especially with the practice of Christian liberties. Hey, Bob, hey, Billy, hey, John, can I do this? What do you think about this? See, Christian liberty is an internal thing. Christian liberty is an internal thing. But the practice of Christian liberty is an external thing. It can have effect on others. Those decisions we make to do this or not do this can have an effect on those we love, family, friends. The Scottish commentator, John Brown, provides great wisdom in my opinion. He says, no consideration should prevail upon us for a moment to give up the essence of our liberty, but many a consideration, but many a consideration should induce us to forego the practical assertion or display of our liberty. I'm hoping, I hope at least that we're starting to see, or we're probably already just noticing, there's, a, there's sort of this weird air of a, like hesitancy with this. There's an air of hesitancy because, and even with the Jewish leaders in Acts 15, why? Because there is so much at stake. There is so much at stake. And Paul, who was part of this conference, wrote this in another letter. We who are strong have an obligation 
to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Paul's admonishing strong believers not to do anything, anything that would cause a weaker Christian to stumble, even if that means at times not exercising a right that you do have, and I have. And I would define weak before anybody is like, weak, no! I would define weak as a person's whose moral understanding has not yet been fully shaped by the word of God. That's all that means. You're not lesser than, you're not weird, you, know, you don't need saving, and none of these weird things. It's just a person who conscious or moral understanding has not yet been fully shaped. Here's the thing. For those who are considered strong, you were once weak, as was I, as was Pastor Lorenzo. So it takes time. It takes time to grow and develop these muscles. We all start out weak. But here's what's at stake. What, are we, what is at stake with the practice and use of Christian liberties? What's at stake is people. What's at stake is each other. What's at stake is the person sitting right next to you. The Bible says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. So we read that and we think, I don't want my liberties to be a stunning block or hindrance to anyone here. And again, I'm like, yeah, good, me neither. I don't want that, you don't want that. So then do we err on the side of caution and like burn all of our secular music? Do we like set ablaze all Nickelback CDs? <laughs> yes, yes you do. <laughs> because you will stun people, stumble people for listening to crappy music. Burn it all. <laughs> Joking, kinda. But seriously, but seriously, if someone was coming over for dinner, you didn't know them that well, they're from the church, and you're like, oh yeah, come over, then would we run to our house and realize, oh, I don't want to be a stumbling block, you know, throw all the bloody meat in the street, or, you know, rip all the books out except for purpose-driven life in the Bible, would we, I don't, we'd pour all the alcohol down the drain? That's expensive, no! Would we do that? So just in case, we would do the, what do we do that just in case, just in case they might stumble? Really? With that mentality, where does it end? Where does it end? So perhaps a better question is this. What does it actually mean to cause someone to stumble? I think that's a better question. That's a far better question. Because to stumble is sorely misunderstood. To stumble, to stumble is sorely misunderstood. To stumble someone is more along the lines of spiritual fatality. So you can write that in your journal, you can write it on your forehead. Stumbling equals spiritual fatality, okay? I've always liked New Testament professor Don Hagner's clear definition of stumbling. He says this, it's to be understood in the serious sense of causing someone to seriously fall into sin, or perhaps, or perhaps even to learn, lose their faith in Jesus and the gospel. That's what it means to stumble somebody. That's what it means. The weaker brother getting miffed because we like to play video games, that's not stumbling. That is not stumbling. Somebody getting mad or somebody getting annoyed because I or you have a beer at a bar, oh, that's not all right. Well, okay, I'll see him Sunday. That's not stumbling. 
That is not stumbling somebody. Our liberties that you and I have cannot become the slave to another person's moral standards. Ever. Ever. Or they're not liberties anymore, right? John Calvin, brilliant theologian, puts this well when he says that we restrain the exercise of our freedom for the sake of weak brothers, but not when we are faced with Pharisees who demand that we conform to what's unscriptural. Where the gospel is at stake, liberty needs to be exercised. Where the, go- where the stability of a weak Christian is at stake, we need to restrain it, i.e. the Jewish and the Gentiles. And if this stuff isn't practiced or understood on both sides, this is going to hurt unity. And this could really hurt or even divide a church or community much like this. And this can hurt, obviously, you and and me. The strong judging the weak or the weak thinking that the strong need to bend to our every will and emotion. So if I could, for just the next few moments, and we can wrap this up, if I could have a small word to each party's. A small word to each party. First, to those who are or who can be offended by the liberties of others. I want to address you in this room for just a moment or two. What they may be doing that is offending you or bothering you or miffing you, whatever, you know, whatever, what they may be doing may not necessarily be sinful. Them sincerely stumbling you, as we defined stumbling, them sincerely doing that, yeah, that's a sin. That's a sin. But be aware of passing judgment on their liberty that they have in Christ. We cannot press upon them extra biblical standards. That makes you no better than the religious Pharisees John Calvin was just saying. And side note, Jesus called Pharisees sons of the devil. So there's that. That's pretty intense. And this is huge. Kevin, where are you? I was talking about this with Kevin, a guy in my discipleship group. Is he even in here? We were talking about this the other day. This is so huge that we are going back and forth. How he, this is so immense that your faith and my faith is not, condition, is not conditions on what, on, on what Christians do around you. I'm going to repeat it because I, I messed it up. But your faith is not conditioned on what Christians do around you, but what Christ has done for you. Amen? That is huge. I saw that person drink a beer. I'm not a Christian anymore. It does not make the cross of Jesus Christ any less true when that person screws up. Now, a word to those who are stronger and who exercise liberty. For you, this is way trickier. (laughs) This is far more trickier. Um... I'm reminded of author Gerald Bray's words in his Systematic Theology book. He says, the trouble with freedom is that there are no fixed rules. See, he's like, guys, there's no playbook. There are no fixed rules that can be applied in every circumstance. If there were, our freedom would be lost. Each situation has to be decided on in its merits and the nature of things. Different people are almost bound to come up with different uh, conclusions. Again, why we need discipleship and what we would push for here, discipleship groups. See, I know there is gray with a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of gray. And guess what? That stinks. That totally stinks. But what we have to navigate towards is what we do know, the blacks and the whites, and avoid the gray as much as possible and rest on what we do know. 
So here, for the strong, is what is the non-negotiable in practicing your and my liberty. And this applies to all liberties. I wish I could get every single liberty. I really wish I could crack down and just go this one and this one and this one. This one. I just can't. We'd be here all night. Dancing now, okay. Tattoos now, okay. Beard, I, we just can't get into it. And again, like Gerald Bray said, there's a different understanding with every circumstance. So what are the non-negotiables? What are the black and white in the midst of the gray? So for those who are strong, please, 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 please pay attention. Your, your liberty is a matter of your conscience. It's all an issue of the heart. It's all an issue of the heart. Just because you can have a beer or whiskey or wine or cigarette or cigar or smoke a pipe, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Oh, cool, Christian liberty. I've never smoked a cigarette before. (laughs) Doesn't mean you should. Just because he or she has alcohol doesn't mean you should. Just because Johnny watches Quentin Tarantino films doesn't mean you have to or doesn't mean you should. Every single person here has their own conscience and their own level of conviction of what God's doing inside of them and through them and for them. It's all a matter of your individual hearts. It's all a matter of your individual understanding of where you're at in life. My conviction, my conscience is nowhere the same as yours and yours nowhere is the same as mine. Okay, here's the, here, here it is. Liberty is not license. Does that make sense? Liberty is not license to, to operate in things of the flesh. If we get there just because we can, yeah, all right. No, that's, liberty is not license. That is a huge understanding we need. Paul said, and this is gonna help us so much, in another New Testament letter, all things are lawful for me. So he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's a mature understanding of practicing liberties. You see, when liberty is viewed as grace, when liberty is viewed as grace from God, the idea and understanding that this is my right, or I can do anything, Radic, you know, radically transforms to this is, a, this is a privilege that I have been given and I must be a steward. If we exercise our liberties this way, under grace and understanding that this is a privilege and not a right, then we will enjoy it without abusing it. To be strong enough to partake, and please hear me, to be strong enough, to think you're strong enough, to know you're strong enough, to know that you're maturing in Christ, to partake of Christian privileges also means that you have the strength to refrain from them for others. So if you are strong enough to practice this liberty, you are strong enough to refrain from this liberty. Hopefully that is making sense. That's liberty and limitations. If you can't refrain, I can't stop smoking that. I can't stop looking at that. I can't stop thinking that. I can't stop doing that. I can't stop drinking that. I can't stop eating that. If you can't refrain, then that is a whole other issue at play. And whatever that thing is, whatever it might be, has enslaved you. And we are no longer talking about Christian liberty. If that thing has enslaved you, you are no longer free. That is not a Christian liberty. 
That is an issue of self-control. See, limitations, the correct limitations and borders that we've been talking about this whole time, the correct limitations and borders that we need to have for Christian liberties that we sought to discover this entire time, like I've said, is as simple as this, love. Please write that down in like 85 point font, whatever, in your journals. This is the limitation we have in Christian liberties. It is love, 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 love. Acts 15 is a request for the sake of loving one another. Basically, that's what the letter is. Please, Gentiles, for the love of your Jewish brothers and sisters who are going through so much with all of this change, love them, love them. And if we don't refrain, thinking about, you know, if we don't refrain, then you love and you, and you love whatever that thing is more than your brother and sister, that is, a, that is a scary spot to be in. Again, another letter in the New Testament, Paul again, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through what? What? Go ahead, go ahead, you can talk, church. But through what? Love. Bryce, what? Love. That's all right. Love, serve one another. For us to have any, any knowledge, you know, the strong, I have all this knowledge, and the Bible says this and this and this that we are free in Christ, but it's devoid of love. That is like a body without a skeletal system, a skeletal structure. It is a nasty blob flopping around on the floor. The motive for our limits in our liberties is prevailing love for one another. I'm not gonna do this because I love, love, love Brian so much. I'm not gonna do this because I love, love, love Dave so much. Allow me to ask right now, is there any liberty in your life of more value than that of somebody else in this room? There's no beer that good. There's no movie that good. There is no cigarette, the drag that sweet, or whatever you could possibly, there's no dance or drum kit in the stage that awesome that they are more valuable than anybody in this room, than anybody that's considered a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And to me, I think there are only a few more things, if really nothing, that are more beautiful than when a brother or sister give up a right that they have for another. I'm giving this up, even though I don't need to. Willingly, I, I can do this, but I'm giving this up for you. I mean, isn't that love in its purest? The denial of self for the soul and well-being of another? Isn't that love in its purest? But I was thinking, it's one of the hardest things to do. I get it. It's so hard to do. To sacrifice our right for another's right, to sacrifice our good for another's good, especially maybe when they're being whiny about it or knowing or whatever it could possibly be. So how do we know that that's love and it's purest? Because isn't that the love of Jesus? Isn't it? Friends, I want us to end tonight being thankful so, so thankful that his love is not contingent upon us refraining, withholding sex before marriage or sex after marriage, about us being good or us being bad or us eating meat with blood or us eating dried meat. I want us to end tonight understanding, let us be so ever grateful that his love for us is not a struggle. It is not a challenge for him to love us. God and Jesus is not wrestling to love us. There's no doubts in the heart of God his love for you. And then I want us to understand tonight, let us be thunderstruck each and every day that his love for us isn't measured 
in the same way that we have love for one another. Could you imagine? Well, I'll, I'll love you as much as you love them. Those are the thoughts I encourage each of you to take tonight as Christians. Christians, I want you to take this as you come to the table for communion, here in my right and here in my left, that Jesus gave up all of his rights and Jesus gave up all of his privileges and said, this is all of me. I give up so you gain. That's what Christian liberty and limitations is the understanding of. I give up so that you gain. Jesus saying to us, come now. Tonight he's even saying this. Maybe you just need to hear these words. Jesus saying, come now, wounded or frightened or bothered or angry or doubters, fearful, whoever you may be in this moment, and I will meet you where you are at. You do not have to become something else before I meet with you. And Jesus says, I will give myself, I mean, every inch, both life and death, I will give it to you. And that is the promise of communion. When you come up and you take the double stack cup here, that is the promise of communion, that we get every inch of Christ in life and in death. And that is the motivation that we need to have tonight as we're singing together. You can come to the carpets and kneel. You can raise your arms and worship where you're at. You can stand, you can sit. We can sing together. That is our motivation. And if you do not believe any of this, and you think this is all a bunch of hee-haw, whatever you could possibly think, if you're angry because you have been hurt by another person in this room, or you're bothered because you know you have hurt another person in this room, another brother or sister, first I would say receive prayer. On that back wall and on that back wall, right there, there's gonna be people with lanyards who wanna pray for you. Go receive prayer. Please, if anything's bothering you, going, I don't like this, or this is hurting me, or I'm confused by this, receive prayer for anything tonight. And lastly, I will say this, tonight, make it right. Make it right. You can crawl over people, you can do whatever, we're gonna move in here, whatever, and go to that person and make it right. Make it right if you need to. Send a text, but if they're in this room, go to them. Don't send a text, hey, I'm, I'm behind you. Don't do anything like that. Go to them. Let's make it right and let's worship. Sound good? Let's pray.